title of the message is Emergence. There's a reason. Because this has everything to do with moving forward and breaking out. And so John 9, I'm not going to extensively review because for the past few weeks we've spent a lot of time on the first five verses. But I do want to read quickly in verse number 1 and verses 6 through 7. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. We mentioned that his blindness meant that he had never, in this case, he had never seen in his entire life. He had been blind from the outset. And he had positioned himself. He was well known. As the chapter goes on, and we're given this amazing uh, story, uh, account of this man. And it's one of the occasions in the Gospels that differentiates it from many of the others where we're just giving large sketches about people. In John 9, this blind man, we actually get to know him fairly well. We get to look at his personality. It emerges out of the pages. It's actually quite a remarkable picture of this man that we're given. And yet, as it starts out, he's, just a, a, he's been a blind beggar for all his life at the gates of the temple, we, we would assume. And Jesus, we know, on this particular occasion, decided that, that he was going to respond to the Father. And he got into a conversation, though, first with his disciples, right? And they wanted to know about why this man was the way that he was. They felt pity for him. They were having a, a theological debate about what caused this situation to happen to him. Why him, Jesus? There was this interaction taking place between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus says, actually, you guys are on the wrong path. And it wasn't something that somebody did wrong specifically. He goes, but I want to tell you something. In this particular moment, God's about to do something amazing. And I, I, I'm going to heal this man, basically, is what Jesus says. This is an opportunity for the grace of God to be displayed right before your eyes. And in a way, that blind man at the gate was a picture of everything Jesus had come to address. That he had come to give himself so that we might live and see in new ways. And so Jesus, we're told, and again, in verse 6, it says, when he had said these things, that interaction between he and his disciples had taken place, that he spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva. That's the picture. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with that clay. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. We Last week, we showed pictures of uh, that pool. You can see it today. There's a, a real place that Jesus sent this man to. And there's a remnant of it that still uh, is existent. And this was the place that he was sent to. And the pool's name is, sent, is Siloam, which means sent. So the blind man was sent to the pool called Sent. There's a lot of stuff going on there. But the bottom line, because that's where the water from the, outside the city was sent to, the pool of Siloam. And so it's, we're told here that he went and he washed, and he came back seeing. And we talked about last week the power of simple obedience. And again, what's interesting is that, you know, our Lord could have simply stooped down if he wanted to and just said, be healed, right? You didn't have to say anything. There are many other examples of Jesus healing people where no one was put through these types of machinations. I mean, Jesus breaks out of his typical way of moving and engaging someone, and he says, look, I want you to, to submit to this. I want you to do something that on the surface you're not going to necessarily feel is necessary. So he puts this witty beggar, as we will see, he is witty, through a test of sorts. And uh, so, because the first step was, you got to let me put this on your eyes. 
this spittle, this clay mixed with stuff. You gotta let me pat, put it on there. Don't wipe it off. In fact, what else I want you to do is after, after you let me, let me do this, and after, you do, after I do this, I need you to, to go to the Pool of Siloam, and don't take it off until you get there. And now, think about that. I mean, the picture where, you know, if I'm the, if I'm the blind man, uh, I mean, part of what I'd be saying is, hey, if you're going to heal me, heal me. You know, why, why, why are you doing this? This is ridiculous. This is crazy. Why do I have to go through this, with this clay doing on my eyes? Why are you making me go walk? Don't toy with me. Who are you? But, but we're told that, that, again, this was, you know, we're told that the blind man responded, and he made his way. Tapping is where the picture we're given. He taps his way through the streets of Jerusalem till he gets to the pool of Siloam. It was not an easy obedience. It required a faith that made him look, listen, foolish. But he resolutely did what he was told, and he reaped the reward. And for, uh, for as he washed the by now caked clay from his eyes, something else as that water hit that hardened clay and started to wash it out, something else was washed out. The blindness was washed out with the dirt. It was like the ultimate LASIK surgery, right? <laughs> and, but, you know, I was sitting there, I was going, Wow! You know, for the, we, we underestimate this moment. I mean, it, think about it. It was the first, the first time he could ever see. I mean, he, he, lifts, he opens his eyes, and what, things that you and I have t- taken for granted, we take for granted the gift of seeing. And I know, I know there, are, there are many who, who don't have the ability to see. And I know that there are other senses that the way that, that the body is designed amazingly that are... that the hearing and the smell and other parts of the senses tend to be enhanced when one sense doesn't work. And yet, here is this picture of a man who's never seen a ray of light. For the first time, as he lifts up his eyes, he can see the sunlight. He looks to his left, he can see stone. He can see things that he's only imagined. He's only imagined what they've looked like. He's felt them, he's smelt them, he's never seen them. He sees a rock, he sees dirt, he sees a bush perhaps on the side, and then he sees that water right in front of his eyes and something that he's never ever seen before in his life. He sees his face. And it's enough to make a grown man cry, and he probably did. And, and, and it's, the joy must have come over him. And you would think that this occasion would have been dom- one of the remarkable things about the ninth chapter of John and the healing of the blind man is the absence of joy. Not necessarily from him, but watch how it unfolds. You would think this moment which had to be a supreme moment for him. Unparalleled gift. How, how could this happen? People were amazed, shocked, stunned. Uh, many had to be delighted. But also there were others who were afraid. Afraid because the, this happened on a day that people weren't supposed to have stuff like this happen. As we'll see. There is an absence of joy. And there's a reason why. Now, look what it, look what it says. It says that, and, and what happens next is this. In the rest of the chapter, which is a pretty long chapter, there are essentially five vignettes, interactions that take place between the blind man and other people. The first of those vignettes is captured in verses 8 through 12. It is between the neighbors who, who ask him, what's happened to you? Look at this. It says this. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this, 
he who sat and begged, aren't, isn't that the blind beggar? We know, we, we know you. What do you, what happened? That's the question. Some said, no, that, yeah, that's him. And then notice how the Bible puts it, very simple, br- brief. Others said, no, that, that, that's not him. Somebody who looks like him, but that's not him. And he said, no, it's me. All right, I mean, that's, that's the picture we're given. This is me. And they said, what happened to you? What happened to you? How, 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 how did you get your sight? How were your eyes open? What happened to you? And then he t- he's his first witness. He says, there's this, look what he says. There was this man. That's all he knows him to be, a man called Jesus. In fact, you know, I don't even, it's like, if I'm the blind, I've never even seen him. I don't even know what he looks like. I, I know what it feels like to have mud put on my eyes by him, but I don't know what he looks like. He's, I just know his name. His name is Jesus. And he, 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 look, it says that this man called Jesus made clay, and he anointed my eyes, and he said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and that's what I did. And you know what? I can see. And they said to him, where is he? He says, I don't know. And you got to come with us. Why? Because we want you to talk to some people. You need to talk to the religious, you need to talk to the leaders. This is, this is something that they need to hear. And so he's ushered in. There's not like, what, again, what really shows up here is that the absence of a collective celebration. I'm trying to go, where's the happiness? Where's the joy in Mudville, right? I mean, where is it? There's nobody here laughing and, and praising and thankful. There's a, there's a kind of a fear in this. And, and, and we're going to know why in a moment. Because there was an environment that had been created where people knew that they weren't supposed to have certain things happen on the Sabbath. Now, for us, it doesn't necessarily make as much sense. But if you had been living in Jesus' day, or you were a person, or even today, who was familiar, who was familiar with this whole idea of Sabbath, as we will see, that the Sabbath issue, which runs like a stream or an intricate vine through the entire New Testament, by the way, it shows up everywhere. We cannot be a real student of the Bible without, at some level, under, attempting to understand the Sabbath controversy that is peppered throughout the Gospels and even into the epistles. The Sabbath uh, was an important issue. It was an issue in which there was division between Jesus and the Pharisees. Initially, as some of us may be aware, the Sabbath was something that was one of the Ten Commandments. It was instituted or initiated by God through Moses as Israel was emerging as a people from Egyptian bondage. They were given rules to live by. They were given ways of being to one another and to God. One of those things that they were given, the fourth command, was the command to keep the Sabbath. It was an unusual thing. God actually put into their national constitution the reality that there was to be one day where they would do no work. It was so radically different than anything else that had ever been put in anything, in anything resembling a national way of life. They were told, you are never ever totally to be defined by your work. Don't ever forget that. You do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Therefore, the Lord said, keep the Sabbath. Pull out of your work. Remember, you are not simply working and then dying. You have been made in the image of God. And you are not God, so you must rest. And that rest is to be a replenishing rest to you. It is designed, it was designed, the the Lord gave them this gift. (laughs) Not to constrict their life, but to bless them. It was designed, he said, so that you might rest and be replenished. That you might truly recreate, recreate. That you might be made new. 
that you might pull away from what you're doing and just be and enjoy and reflect and think about God and the people you love and stop worrying. Trust me. There's this whole beautiful exchange Sabbath was meant to be. But here's the problem. By the time, and so the question was this. They understood this. No work was to be done. And again, we cannot appreciate what, about, what is about to happen without appreciating first the, the controversy that this man previously known as the blind beggar at the gate, this blind man who had formed, this man formerly blind, it, we cannot appreciate what he's about to walk into, Right? Because he has no idea, the, the controversy itself is huge. The tension that has been existing. Because when he got healed, he got healed on the wrong day. He got healed on the Sabbath. And for some people, that was a problem. And so notice, he's brought in, it says, now we go, wait, how, how is that possible? That could be a problem. But by Jesus' day, they had rules. See, they, there were many rules that had been established to, to make sure that people, see, everybody agreed, if we're going to honor God, we don't work on this day. The question is, what constitutes work? And so Jesus had a very broad definition of what it meant to really rest and not do work. He saw it at, in its original intention, it was designed to heal, to bring life into us. But the Pharisees saw it in a complete, many of them had such a, a detailed concern about it that they had feathered it out to the nth degree. And so they had very clear, specific, detailed explanations about what constituted work, what could be done on the Sabbath, what couldn't be done on the Sabbath. And Jesus would oftentimes get in strong disagreements with them, saying, and I'll just put this verse up real quick for us, or we'll put it up, it, when he would say this, listen, man was made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The idea is that the, the Sabbath was created as a gift, as a gift. Then you have made, made it the issue and missed the, the purpose. And so there was a lot of disagreement between, they had, they had, they had laws. They said, you can't, you can't administer work. You can't do anything that looks like work. They were, Jesus had violated their rules in a number of ways. One, he had healed. You don't do that on the Sabbath. You say, wow, no, no, it's true. And, and even if someone was going to be, almost die, uh, if they were, there was an exception if they were dying, but even then you had to be careful what you did. You didn't make clay, that, no, that's out. Um, you don't tell someone to go do something like wash, that's out, that's work. And once we, once we move away from um, these agreements, see, they had become so stuck in their paradigm that they could actually argue over whether or not Jesus had violated the Sabbath by healing this man. And you get the impression that that's a, one of the reasons why Jesus did it on that day. It's like, here's mud in your eye, right? <laughs> it's like, take, take that. What are you going to do with that? Now, the blind man, he's just happy because he can see. And so they say, you got to go talk to the leaders. <coughs> okay. I'll go. Then this is when we get there. Now, verse 14. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay. That's important detail. Made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees asked him again, said, How? okay, tell us exactly what happens, basically what we're hearing here. And he said, tell us again how you, how you got your sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes. I washed and now I see. And therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man, speaking about Jesus, 
This man, he cannot, we knew it. He cannot be from God because nobody, from, nobody who represents God would then in turn violate the very word of God. So clearly, so all of a sudden, you got to see the picture. He is, he is just telling what's happened and he's now caught in the middle of this huge debate from very highly intelligent, powerful people and he's in the middle of it and they're having a, a disagreement about Jesus. No one's saying, what a great thing it is. This is amazing. Now, some of them do. Some of them, look what happens here. One of the, some of them start to say, he can't be from God. Others said, wait a second. Now, I know this is a stretch here, but if he's not from God, you, can, he can, you cannot say this man is a sinner. If he has the ability to open the eyes of a blind man, surely you, you must say he is from God. And so there is this tension, this disagreement, this and it gets heated. And finally, we're told that the blind man is kind of, he's watching it all. And they turn to him. And they say, listen, what do you say? What do you say? What's your opinion about this? First off, we're not even sure you really were blind. But given the fact, and that's going to come up, but assuming you were, what's your opinion of this man and what he did? And the blind man, who up to this point had said, up, his first testimony about Jesus was what? Well, this man named Jesus, but he's been listening and he's hearing their discussion. And guess what? This man is very underestimated. You may say, well, he didn't go, where did he go to school? He didn't go to school. Well, his education was on the street, which tells me two things. And it will show up. This is one of the great parts. Of this. It will show up. Because you know what? His education on the street, it meant what he did for a living. <laughs> Somebody was telling me, uh, they said, you know, Jesus made this guy unemployed. He took away his skill set, right? And I said, no, he didn't. You know, we were laughing. He was laughing with me. He said, we, you know, when he healed him, because he couldn't do what he used to do. But he had developed two other, he, listen, he, like a lot of people who I meet, I was, I was trying to put myself in there. I say, what is this? What is this guy? Because he showed these, one, he was an astute judge of human nature. He had a sharpened sense of people. He knew people. He could hear it in people. He knew fakes. He knew frauds. He knew real. He understood human nature. That's how he lived. He lived there. One more thing we know about him. He had a way of being able to talk. He was used to cajoling and arguing and asking, and he knew how to work things. He has skills. He, he had abilities. They're going to show up. Now, look, he is a nobody in the middle of a group of somebodies. And they're putting him on the spot. You tell us what you think. And he says, well, you know what? I wasn't quite sure. I've never seen him. But you know what? Now that I'm listening, I believe he's a prophet. I believe he's sent by God. Because nobody but someone sent by God could do this. So inadvertently, by their pressuring him, they actually pushed him into a place of greater confession. That's the interesting part of this. They start applying pressure on him, and the more they, they do that, the more it forces him to start working through, well, what do I think about this man, Jesus? This is very, and you can see it. Now, here's the thing. I wanna, I wanna just put these two pieces together for us to consider, and there's two things I wanna bring at this, this portion of time. And the first one is this. What can we learn from this? One thing is this that stuck with me. 
is that there are few things as powerful as a courageous telling of our story, of what Jesus has done for us. Look, one of the things that's going to show up here is that the blind, the, the blind man, is not, is, he's not afraid. He, now, he, he's, he's going to tell his story, and as we shall see, the more they push him, and they will try, they will push him to denounce Jesus. They will push him, and they will threaten him, and the more they do it, the less he's willing to, to give anything less than the credit that Jesus... And all of a sudden, in other words, he starts to tell his story. And I thought, man, he becomes an example of what it is to courageously say, look, I can't, I'm not interested in debating you on this. All I can tell you is I was blind, and now I see. And there is something about how there will be time. It may happen this week to some of us. It may. Where there will be moments where we will also be asked to be brave enough to speak up, not in an arrogant, proud way, but in a way that as we are not going, I am not going to be ashamed of the one who opened my eyes. I won't do it. There's something about that, something about being brave enough to speak up for the Lord when it is time to do so. I, I, I believe in him, and he has changed my life. And if you're telling me that I can't say that, that I, I know what I was. And see, this is a big part of what's happening here. And that leads us into the second piece, just what I want to underscore, is that a lot of times our growth is going to be a process. What we are going to witness here is the emergence of a man. He didn't look like much, but by the time he's done, he's got something a lot of people don't have. And there's something about the process of growth that God wants to... That's why I said it, this year could be... I don't know what else is going to happen. I know a lot of people are saying this could be some rough waters ahead. I get that. I'm concerned, like a lot of us. But you know what? I do believe this could be a great year for some of us to break into new places with God. And that it is a time for many of us to dig more deeply into who Jesus said he was, not what someone... Um, many people have a lot of opinions about Jesus, but what did Jesus actually say about himself? What about actually digging into the scriptures for the first time? I was telling someone, you know what? Get a Bible and start reading it. Have you ever read? And I said, but listen, if it's too hard, you can get it. You can get it. There's a, there are modern versions. We've got them here um, that are easier to understand. Read the Gospels. Just start reading about the life of Jesus. Read about the early church. Read the New Testament. Read it. I said, uh, you, you, you can get a, a, a study Bible. What's that? Oh, that's a Bible that, that actually has notes on the bottom that helps explain some of the things so that it makes even a little bit more sense. They, you can get those. But think about investing into your spiritual life in a consistent way. I said, what do you think a disciple is? When they said Jesus had disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. What is a follower of Jesus? But a disciple, what is a disciple? A disciplined one. It's someone who has worked grooves into their lives that allow them to grow and flourish in the way of Jesus. I said, you know what, get, in, get involved in a, in a small group. Get connected into a ministry. Begin to work your Focus on, remember we talked about, we said that at the beginning of the year, that what is the work that God wants to do in us? What is the thing he wants to grow into us? Um, how do we grow in our, again, many different opinions about, okay, I was, um, 
about Jesus. I was thinking about this quotation. Just stay with me. At the front of the year, uh, when we started the year, the first message that we shared, there was a quotation from a man named Eugene Peterson that I referred to. And I didn't, I didn't put it in the handout, but I was, I was thinking about this, uh, this quotation. He said, just listen to it. He said, living is the thing not knowing. And he went on to imply that just because we know something doesn't mean we're going to live it. Okay, so he said, living is a thing not knowing. Just because we know something doesn't mean we're going to live it. So he was trying to say is that it, we, may, we may be informed, but if it's not applied, it's like... Does it really, is it going to make the difference it was meant to make? So it's not just knowing. But then he said something else. I go, I get that. I get that. It makes sense. If we don't live what we believe, it doesn't, it's not going to matter. It's not just if I know the right thing, am I, am I applying myself to actually live it? And am I asking God to give me strength to do it? That's about being open. I get that. Living is not the thing. Knowing is not the thing. Living is. He goes, but then he says this. But, of course, if you don't know the right thing, he says, you'll end up living the wrong thing. So there is something. It's not just so, in other words, knowing the right thing actually matters. Because we won't know how to live the right thing out if we don't know what that thing is. And so we end up actually counter, we actually end up missing the opportunity that is there. And that is why this is a time for us to truly engage God. This, whatever else happens this year, this is a time to be open to the new things God wants to work into our lives, to take seriously what it means to be open to following Jesus, to learning about him, reading about him, not simply letting our opinion of him be defined by our culture at large. Again, many different things being said about Jesus, many of which have absolutely nothing to do with what he actually said about himself. I was reminded about a, a portion of scripture in Romans 12 where it says this. It says, be not conformed to this world, our culture, our world, but be transformed. Think out of the box. Don't go with the flow. Be a countercultural person. Learn how to follow Jesus. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of our mind. Let's learn to think different. Don't just accept the party line. Actually look at it for ourselves. See what Jesus is trying to say. Ask the Lord to open things up to you. Be open to change in our lives. Again, we talked about what does it mean to really grow? What does it mean to begin to know and apply? What is the fruit that comes with that we may know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God that the blessing of the Lord might begin to permeate into the corners of our life? And how does that happen? It happens when we take seriously what this means. We begin to pursue it. I am, yes, I am contending to not just simply give it a mental nod and say, oh, it's a nice thing. I am saying, go for it. I am saying, dig in. For some of us, this is a year for renewing patterns that we have been neglecting. We're taking more seriously what it means to deepen our soul, to begin to think about the internal person that's inside of us and not just scattered about with, with any way that's as good as another. I'm talking about taking seriously the reality of Jesus so that it can really show up in our lives in a way that works. The bottom line is if we don't take it seriously and pursue it, it will not work right. Are we open? Are we ready? Lord, I pray as we are here in this particular season of the year, right now, at the beginning of it, Lord, as we're, we're already now at a place where we, we have to begin to decide, you know, how are we going to live out this year, Lord? I, I pray that we would, we would be open to, to learning to trust you in ways that previously we didn't even know how to do it. Learning how to see things in new ways that we never saw before. Lord, 
Maybe there are areas of blindness that you want to open up less our vision to. Maybe this time that looks pretty bad is actually going to be the great blessing because it's going to drive us to you to dig more deeply and to think better, to reflect better, to be open to your words, which actually read them for ourselves, to ask you to bring them to life inside of us. So we're not just reading about a Jesus who used to live and did nice things, but a Jesus, you, who are real and alive and capable of transforming our lives in miraculous and marvelous ways if we are willing, that you can take things that are wired improperly and rewire them, that you know where the real issues are, Lord, the hurts of life that have been haunting us for years, God, you can take them and turn them around and by your grace, make them healthy Lord, there are things that you do. I've seen it with my own eyes that are amazing and stunning, God. Sometimes they're just little things. They don't matter to a lot of people, but we know your hand is in it. And for us, they're a big thing. So I just pray that we would be open and ready and willing. I pray that you let this, this time, and even, Lord, this song that we're closing with, let it be, let us not run past this moment, but let us, let, let us receive this song that we're closing with, Lord as if it were our prayer to you of saying, Lord, I am ready. I am more open than I've ever been to move with you. And if you are willing, I am ready. And uh, I pray that you bless this song as we close our service with it. Bless our time of giving as we honor you in it. In all these things, we ask you, Lord, to be present with us in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen. Amen.